0: Welcome, everybody, to Trash Cinema, our weekly little exercise in torturing ourselves with two god-awful movies. (laughs) I am your host, Michael, and my co-host, Tony. And this week, we're going to be exploring the world of martial arts, two craptastic disasters, Bruce Lee's Game of Death and No Retreat, No Surrender. And first up on the block, the chopping block it should be, is Bruce Lee's Game of Death. I shouldn't say Bruce Lee's Game of Death because the version we've seen is a mutilated, tortured, beaten to a bloody pulp, confusing mess. There's nothing really to do with his
1: movie. I, I'm going to go with a 100% agreement there. Especially with the fact that, they, did they even get him to do the, his own voiceover for that movie? Um, this is the
0: thing. For the longest time, I thought that he was filming this after Enter the Dragon ended. Like, it wrapped yeah. production, and he started jumping into his next movie and he died while doing that. Turns out he was filming this on his own. He had raised the money for it. And he was going to direct, produce, you know, control everything. And all of a sudden he gets a call from Warner Brothers saying, Hey, we're going to give you $850,000 for a Kung Fu flick, which is big, big money back in, back in the day. So he stopped production on Game of Death, finished Enter the Dragon, then died. So he never got to go back and work on any of this. So... Maybe only in the final fight sequence is that his voice, because the rest of it is so not his voice. That is, yeah.
1: I, I was wondering if it was some sort of you know just poorly made production of the video, but now that I know that, I feel a little bit better about it.
0: If you listen to most of that movie, it's just some lunatic in the background pretending to be Bruce Lee. <laughs> you're like, is he is he doing an impersonation of Bruce Lee, or is he having the stroke? Someone call a
1: doctor. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very disconcerting seeing Bruce Lee not do Bruce Lee well at all. <laughs>
0: oh no! Well, I mean, most of the movie isn't even him. I'll say this: um, uh, the very first time I had seen anything on Game of Death was I was watching a documentary on AMC where it was his wife saying, you know, this is the first time you're gonna see the final fight sequence complete uncut. You know, and they just kind of patched the pieces together. And it was amazing. My jaw was on the floor. It was so awesome. And I was like, oh, well, i got to go see the whole thing. And I rented it, and I was like, okay, okay, opening sequence is really cool. It's like a James Bond movie. They even got the John Barry, the guy who does the music for all the James Bond movies. Yeah. The second that sequence is over, uh, crap. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, no. That is footage from a different movie they use in the beginning, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes, that is actual footage from – Way of the Dragon, where he calls in Chuck Norris to work on him on that film. So I don't even know if they got permission from Chuck Norris to use his footage again for another movie or not.
0: Right. When they reuse footage, don't they have to pay you something?
1: Or, yeah, I mean, there is some sort of royalties to it to a degree, I believe. Well, I guess you can sign off of it. Depends. Man,
0: I bet you even if they had offered him a ton of money, he would have been like, you know what? It looks like I'm wearing a fur coat in that movie. Uh,
1: no, no.
0: Let's just erase the history of my extremely hairy body. I look like a Sasquatch.
1: Well, what I thought was kind of cool, though, was the fact that, you know, if you actually watch this movie, it feels like one of those Nostradamus situations where he's foretelling his future already in a movie. Yeah. And not only that, but also the future of, you know, spoiler alert, his son uh, I, I can't help but wonder that if uh, if Bruce and his son is out there somewhere just, you know, fighting mob bosses for revenge in <laughs> actual reality.
0: Yeah, I just all top secret. What is it? I was reading a, a Green Arrow comic book years ago, Chuck Dixon wrote, where he goes on a road trip by himself. You know, you remember when Connor Hawk took over after? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. He, and he ran into old Elvis and old Bruce Lee protecting some big mob guy and. Or not mob guys, just big uh, wig in Vegas. And you're like, yeah. wait a second, is Bruce Lee dead? Is this all fake? Oh my god, I knew it. right? Well, uh,
1: it wouldn't be as uh, odd if the fact that this didn't come you know, right before his own death. He was making a movie about him making a movie where somebody kills him in the movie. You can't help but feel it. This is kind of just a little plan. Like he was like, hey guys, I'm trying to let you all know something's going on without really letting you all know something's going on. <laughs> Actually, I'm not so
0: sure about that cuz I watched I just watched it and I feel like okay, so they use the footage from Return of the Dragon, AKA Way of the Dragon. Yeah, yeah. And then I swear there's a couple of scenes where there's a stand in that's where the dialogue comes in about him being killed, and then they patch in footage from a different movie showing him looking up at the sky wondering what's going on. Yeah. I I really only believe the only part of the movie that has him in it is the very final sequence. But it's a, it's a confusing mess because you got like eight people playing Bruce Lee in this movie.
1: Yeah, and you also have uh, five background characters that are on repeat. Uh, they do things to specifically save on money. And that thing is, everyone wears a helmet at all points. Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: it's the hard target rule, you know, where they just like, we have one stunt guy, let's just put a helmet on him and nobody will notice. Slap a right? mustache and a wear a helmet.
1: I kind of forget that uh, at this point in time, there was just some ridiculously over-the-top crazy combat sequences. I'm used to seeing buzzsaws and... You know chain mills and whatever you know but having an entire fight sequence in a warehouse with motorcycles just made no sense to me whatsoever what's
0: worse is it feels like everybody in the cast who's pretending that bruce lee is really there have no idea what going on what's going on out of the five or six main characters at no point do i feel like they're in the same scene they're in the same room but none of them seem to be acting or you know it just doesn't feel like there's any cohesiveness whatsoever
1: well, it felt like a really good relay race where one person had the plot and they'd hand it off to somebody else. Yeah. And then they hand it off to somebody else. Uh, did you notice that there is a guy wearing a cardboard mask of Bruce Lee in one scene? I did not notice the cardboard mask, no. like I noticed a lot of the bad clippings, but I didn't
0: notice the cardboard mask. Seriously, he's looking in the mirror, and when he looks in the mirror, he has a cardboard cutout of Bruce Lee strapped to his face.
1: Oh, man. I need to go back and check that out again. I was just so just shocked and awed by the really terrible cutting. Like, there were just so many bad cut sequences in that movie where they just cut things together. It's like, this is clearly a different place entirely.
0: (laughs) I love the part where they decide that he needs to get his face beaten in so badly that he needs plastic surgery. And then for some reason, the plastic surgery makes him look exactly like he is. Then he just grows a beard and wears shades over it. And I'm like... Wait, why did we have, was it reconstructive surgery or was he trying to change his look because both failed? Both failed. Yeah. Yeah,
1: no, entirely. Nothing to mention the fact that they at some point are discussing faking his death and having an open casket. And at no point do you actually see the open casket. They just discuss it. So that entire scene, you're asking yourself, what was the point of this sequence? Why did we waste time with this?
0: We might have watched two different versions of this, because there is a sequence where they show the open casket, and I thought it was incredibly poor taste, because they show footage from Bruce Lee's real funeral.
1: Oh, okay. Maybe I looked away and came back then, because, I don't know, there there were just some sequences that were just so painful for me to watch, I swear. Yeah. Uh, The
0: funny part is, there's a sequence where he's fighting uh, martial artist Bob Wall, and yeah. they're in the locker room. Yeah, and I yeah. know Bob Law is like a legend for that era, but I look at him going, "Wow, I guess they didn't really need their martial artists to be uh, physically fit, because he's a, a sack of wet potatoes with big arms." Yes,
1: yeah, <laughs> It just goes down, and you're just wondering what was the whole point of, uh, you know, bringing up the whole. Co- Actually, I'm gonna stop myself right there real fast. Almost every combat in this sequence is. Degraded by the fact that it happens after they fight somebody else directly before them. Yeah. Like that Bob Wall fight. He had literally just got out of a ring with some sumo wrestler guy, which I don't know why they were fighting in the first place. They just happened to be there.
0: There is a sequence where Bob is fighting Samuel Hung. Did you notice yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I wonder if he feels embarrassed by it now. With Samuel Hung, probably. Yeah, that's a serious <laughs> That's a serious bowl cut right there. Oh, man, it, it looked bad.
1: You know, he hasn't he hadn't come into his martial law days yet.
0: Right. Uh, TV show. You know, the final fight sequence, uh, the whole footage, when you watch it online, uncut, is a half hour long. What, what stuns me is the fact that someone said, Hey, you guys, we have like 30 minutes of footage of this fight sequence here, and we can put it in. And that's at least a third of the movie. And then someone goes, Well, hmm, let's cut that down by a third and throw 10 minutes of that fight into the final sequence, and we'll make up the rest of it. And I just I just wonder if that one person goes, Are you fucking kidding me? No, 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 hold on. I said a half hour. That's like at least a third. We can pad the rest. No, you know what? In fact let's just throw a minute of it and then we'll just have twelve guys in different yellow black suits pretending to be Bruce Lee. It it totally makes sense.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I also like the uh the excessive rubber uh weapons. Like I like watching the, the Bruce Lee Nunchuck scenes and you're watching his rubber nunchuck just bending like slightly at the edge. Yeah. Like, oh, man, ye old special effects.
0: And the, and the sound.
1: <laughs> that nunchuck
0: sequence went on for, like, way longer than it. It's like, um, I think the opening credits should be longer than this spinning around nonsense. Yeah, and Bruce and you Lee. Actually, that was weird.
1: You could actually tell that they weren't able to do any additional cuts of it, too, because there was a scene in the nunchuck sequence where Bruce Lee misses one of his catches, and he kind of just, like, rolls with it afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was just like he was kind of backing up, going off to the side, and he's rotating his nunchucks, and he literally just misses a grab, and he's like, uh, rebound, let's go, keep going.
0: And I think the, one of the coolest things is the fact that the final fight sequence is with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes, who was trained the, by Bruce Lee, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I believe Kareem Abdul was learning Jeet Kune Do.
0: Man, but he's not exactly the most agile. He uh, he's a big dude, so he, he his his kicks are kind of clumsy.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that, you know? It's just something that comes with the lengthiness of his legs and arms.
0: Yeah, but it was a really stunning sequence, and uh, when they wanted him to come back to do more footage, he says, uh, no, there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> At least <laughs> he had some pride.
1: Yeah, yeah. Then it probably would have ruined his legs and arms and pretty much anything else that he had that he needed to do, because some of those things that he was doing on there, I. I can't help but feel personally injured myself watching it. It's like yeah. you're gonna you're gonna rip an ACL doing this.
0: No kidding, because some of that stuff he's doing these huge spins, and you're just like, oh the knee. oh no, your hips.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're just you're frightened half the time for the person he's fighting and for the, himself.
0: The the final sequence is is kind of reminded me. Do you remember Kung Fu on the Nintendo? Oh yeah, yeah. It kind of reminded me that where he went from each level. It just as long as they didn't have any flying snakes at him. It would have been like, yeah, that's an exact rip-off of Game of Death.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you know, you'd fight a boss, and another boss would appear, and you'd fight a boss, and another boss would appear, and you're like, who who made this place? Why why didn't he just climb up from the outside?
0: <laughs> oh, that's that'd be an excellent idea. Huh. You know, the funny thing is there's like four spin-off rip-off sequels to this. Oh, man. They made enough money, that they made more. I mean, they, there was a legitimate sequel called Game of Death 2 that uh, – they just used five minutes of Into the Dragon, killed him off in the very beginning, and then had Bruce Lee's brother star in the rap. But not Bruce Lee's brother, it's like Bruce L.I. Bruce Lee, and then there's Bruce Liu, and then there's there's like four or five different guys who ripped off his last name, that's for sure. <laughs> is, he the only, right. is he the only martial artist where there was rip-offs?
1: Um, I doubt it. I mean, I imagine there's probably more, only because there's only so many names you can cycle through in the Chinese movie database, and... Really, they were pumping those things out like crazy back in the day. So
0: yeah, I wonder if there's a Sunny Chiba ripoff. Like, no, uh, oh, I don't doubt that. S u n n y c h
1: e e b a. Oh man! Anyway, so we're hitting the twenty-minute mark. Let's walk right. over to the next movie.
0: Next movie is No Retreat, No Surrender.
1: And in case you weren't quite sure about it, watch the movie because they say it a couple times and make sure you know. <laughs> they say it like they're setting it
0: up. Um, okay, so this is. Uh, The company wanted to do a version of Karate Kid with better action sequences. They got the better action sequences, but they dropped everything else that mattered in Karate Kid. (laughs) It's basically the same story, but the added is because Van Damme is in it. and That's why people, I think, still talk about it, because it was his first movie. Otherwise, it is not a notable
1: film at all. Well, I have to give Van Damme credit. I mean, he actually was pretty good in the movie. I think he was the only person that was actually pretty good in the movie. Yeah,
0: everybody overacts. They crank it up. Not only – oh, did you notice they overcrank the action to speed it up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, it's pretty amazing as it is. You could probably go back to normal and we'd still be like, yeah, that's that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, what, what kind of really creeps me out though is the fact – and they actually portray this in the movie. The kid eventually goes off on his own to train himself. Yeah. But he doesn't just train himself. He makes an invisible Bruce Lee lookalike buddy train him. Yeah, no but mention actually, of
0: this kid obviously having a complete and absolute mental collapse.
1: Yeah, entirely. Cause uh, I, I don't know if he's reading things and is teaching himself these things and is just using some sort of mental imaginary buddy to train him. But there's a scene where his, his best friend in the area comes by and is watching him training in martial arts, talking to nobody and tossing himself around. Like this is, this is pre fight club, fight club. I kid you not. Yeah.
0: I mean, at no point does anybody go, we should probably get him help. No one, no one else sees him talking to a ghost. This isn't good. <laughs> uh, basic plot set up, it, it doesn't really even matter, is uh, the kid and his father, they run a dojo. For some reason, the mob comes in and starts buying up dojos. I didn't realize dojos were a big money marking scheme that the mob would get involved.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh... I don't, yeah, and then Van Damme's their henchman. He kicks the crap out of everybody. They move to a new town. And then uh, he's harassed by this really... The uh, horrid human being. Basically a chewed-up
1: milk ball of a, of a human being. Yeah, they, they went out of his way to make sure there was constantly food surrounding his face.
0: guy what is that? In 80s movies, it's like, well, he's fat. Obviously he eats all the time. It's not like he has a metabolism issue. Yeah. No. No, no, no. I love the part where they're in the burger joint, and it's just like one of those generic McDonald's burger joints. His friends are sitting around with him. He's like, yeah, guys, you hang around with me. You'll never go hungry. I'm like, I think you only spent $4, so it's not like (laughs) you're a big money
1: bag. Not to of the fact that I'm pretty sure you're eating everyone's food, so you hang out with him, you're going to be going hungry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and, and he antagonizes him to the point where he, of course, he has a mental breakdown. He develops a Bruce Lee ghost, and he trains him to be a magnificent warrior. And I kind of like the training sequences, except for the fact that it does disturb you that he's talking to a ghost.
1: Yes, th- that they don't explain or give rhyme. or They don't even get to the point to where he realizes that it's all his imagination and he finds some profound peace within himself. I'm like, no, no, it's the ghost the entire time.
0: Yeah, uh, the one thing I did find odd at the end. Uh, so at the end sequence, there's a tournament, but apparently it takes place at his high school. I didn't realize they had a boxing ring they could set up at the high school.
1: You know, where they could... Have one of the most well-known champions come by and just do an exhibition for some reason or another.
0: Yeah, and then Van Dam proceeds to kick the crap out of every single person in the room that's competing, and of course our hero just sits there watching someone basically get choked to death. He's like, "Huh, that doesn't look oh, good." Man. And all of a sudden the girl gets punched. He's like, "I got to stand up and fight now." And what was what was his breaking point? Was he going to wait for that guy to get his neck broken and
1: die? Go, huh? That wasn't too good. I got
0: oh. Was I supposed to do something? Crap, yeah. I, I, I Oh, just, man, my,
1: my girlfriend's father, I think, possibly, I don't know for sure, is getting killed. Yeah, yeah whatever.
0: I'm and, good. You know, the funny thing is, you give credit to Van Damme, he already had most of his persona down at the time. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He, I he mean got he, the he was, splits, was, yeah. I was reading that um, he actually didn't know how to do proper movie fighting, and he would actually kick the crap out of the people he was fighting with. They kept warning him, and he just kept kicking them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You need to learn your distance. You keep hitting people.
0: Uh, there's the funny thing about this movie is not a lot of people know it, but uh, in the oh, in the China where it was basically produced, is it's called Karate Tiger. There are five Karate Tigers. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So the second, No Retreat, No Surrender. Uh, two and three are actually excellent. They really understand the classic Hong Kong style without the the shitty acting. And then uh, King of the Kickboxers is. Part 4, and then American Shaolin King of the Kickboxers 2 is Karate Tiger 4, or Karate Tiger 5. That is very hard to say without getting (laughs) tongue-tied.
1: Yeah, no, honestly, uh, as an entirety, um, it was interesting to see. Um, You know, it it really is your basic Karate Kid type of movie without any solid direction or point or reason.
0: No. Uh, So overacted. Acting is not Corey Yoon's... Forte designed yeah. an action sequence. You know, he designed the action sequences for the first two transporters. Ah. Oh. Huh. I just want to say this real quick. While we're recording this, I have a crazy person across the street from me, apparently deciding to have a complete and absolute me- mental breakdown. I wonder if he's looking at the ghost of Bruce
1: Lee right now. <laughs> I don't know. Is he? Is he just you know fighting them, fighting around, jumping back and forth? I mean.
0: Yeah, he's hopping over this thing. He's wandering around their yard. He's talking to himself. Oh man, if he starts doing some kung fu moves, I'm gonna be so happy. <laughs> uh, oh you know what he's heading over to our yard this should be great <laughs> all right everybody that's it for us with trash cinema thank you for sitting uh, through a couple of crazy uh kung fu flicks if you watched this beforehand seriously check them both out they're both on youtube they are insane they're totally worth the time
1: a- absolutely just just to see the terrible cuts together it, it's totally fun to watch and uh, that's it for us here. Check us out on Facebook
0: under Retro Rocket Entertainment and check out every episode of Trash Cinema we'll have coming weekly. If you have any suggestions, let us know.
1: Oh, wait, wait, wait. One more what, thing. One up? more thing, guys. Um, if you watch really closely on No Retreat, No Surrender, there is a scene where they literally get rid of the white kid, replace him with an Asian person so he can do a backflip in the, mo- in the middle of the movie. Look no for kidding, really? I, I kid you not. In the middle of the fight sequence where he's like remembering one of the techniques, he does a backflip and his hair goes from auburn to just straight up black, and he's a little bit smaller.
0: Oh, wow. That is, that's almost as bad as when they replaced Kiss. They replaced Paul Stanley with a black guy in makeup, and you're like, that's so obvious. That's so insanely (laughs) obvious. I wonder if it's the same company.
1: Anyways, I just want to throw that in. Continue. All
0: right, and uh, I guess that's it. Uh, This is Michael signing off. And this is Tony. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Trash Cinema. All right, welcome everybody to Trash Cinema. I have my co-host here. Say hello. Ron-
2: Ronaldo.
0: Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> what is it I thought your name was when I first met you? Raul Millington? Millingham. Ra- Raul Millingham. <laughs> uh, this is his first episode of Trash Cinema. I think we're about five episodes in, and we decided to pick something that we saw when we were teenagers, and uh, it kind of boggled the mind. As an adult, I think it hurts the brain a little bit more. A little bit <laughs> yeah I actually I should introduce myself I forgot Duh. Uh, my name is Michael um, this is something that I started uh, it started off as a blog about 2007 I started watching trashy movies again and I decided some of these are really off the wall and bizarre I should write about them <laughs> and then I reflected on the fact where did this first start and it started really? because around 91 we started watching trashy movies on purpose yeah. I would say probably the worst. One. We should at some point need to find a copy of the very first movie that tr- prompted us to go. We got to watch trashy movies from now on. You remember what it was?
2: The, I don't know if it's the first one. I figured it, the one that we thought was the worst one was the chair. The chair. The chair.
0: We've seen a lot of movies since then. I'm not sure if that still holds the the bar. Now, you know. but right I don't now know. this one's <laughs> oh, this, this one's, one's bad. right. There. Oh my god! At the time like, we saw this, we saw this and the chair really close together. And it must have been our love of, like, comic booky things and superhero and the fact that we were 15, that we didn't <laughs> think it was that stupid. Now, as adults, 20-something years later, my brain hurts a little bit. I think I have a little bit of damage.
2: Your idea of good acting is matured a little bit. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> All right. So our first movie, actually, it's a Gene Simmons double feature. First movie is Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Okay. So Kiss is in the title. Everybody talks about Kiss, but did you notice that Kiss doesn't even show up until like a half hour into the movie? Right. <laughs> what is that about? Everybody talks about Kiss. You see pictures everywhere. You see statues, but you just keep waiting around going, ah, any, any moment now. Ah, okay, come on. <laughs> let's show up. And I think right. maybe a third of their performance is them just doing songs, which kind of makes sense, but kind of not. It's just like, well, this is just filler.
2: This is their help, I guess. Uh, the Beatles, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: their help. I was going to say, you can't even compare the two movies. Not that I'm a no, huge no, Beatles no, no, fan, no. but
2: man. Uh, well, there's at least some good comedy in that. <laughs> yeah.
0: This, the thing about uh, Kiss Meets a Fan of the Park is basically the plot boils down to this guy has a amusement park. I think it's um, it's not one of the big ones. It's kind of like the way it was for uh, Cedar Point. Right. Uh, It's not Six Flags. It's uh, I can't remember. It's one of those, like, oh, it's the only one of those kind of amusement parks. It's kind of like i think running out of money and he decides to bring kiss in they're gonna bring a whole flush of cash but there's like a um a designer electrician magician kind of guy down in the basement designing these robots and he's mad that kiss is coming and that he's not getting his proper due and he decides to get revenge by building right killer robots kung fu robots
2: (laughs) i don't know (laughs) And oh, it's six, It's Magic Mountain. Six Magic Flags, Magic, Mount, uh, Magic Mountain.
0: Oh, so it is a part of Six Flags. <clears throat> right. I thought Magic Mountain was its own thing.
2: It may have been at that time. Who knows? I don't, I don't want to read that deep into it. No. <laughs> uh,
0: so the movie starts off well. Of course, it gives us one of their biggest hits, Rock and Roll All Night. How can you not love that movie? Or that no. song? And then it kind of derails almost instantly. Just like I said, it takes a half hour to get to Kiss. And then when Kiss shows up... It gets really, really bizarre. <laughs> okay, so they're not from another planet, correct?
2: No, they're not. They're human. Okay, so It actually human. says right in there they're human.
0: Yeah, they're human, but it's given, they're given powers from an alien force, right? Or, or an ancient force. Talisman. Talismans. And they keep them in a little box that somehow has its own force field. Yet it can be touched and take. It, yet yeah, it's in that case to keep them safe. Yet it's easy to just access that case. Just uh, <laughs> you know, you're not gonna put a lock on here and nothing. Just all right. Right. And uh, those talismans give them their powers, which are really weirdo powers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we
0: can
2: expect. But, well, was this late? Like, when was this?
0: This was seventy-seven or seventy-eight. 77. I think right and uh you know for tv that had to be pretty big budget you got lots of special effects yes they are severely dated special effects you know who produced this is warner brothers or not warner brothers hannah barbera
2: really yeah, yeah. Just no way
0: <laughs> yeah, it's one of their few live action things i think after this they're like hey, we should probably just stay in animation we're, we're good. <laughs> I mean, the weird thing is um kiss started off as kind of like a hard rocking blues band that did very well you know, on the road, like, their live shows are amazing. But I think by the time this movie popped around, I think that that kind of grown-up edge was dying off. You know, grown-ups and teenagers can be fickle. That, you know, they can change on a moment's notice. But right. they decided to switch to kids and focus on being superheroes. Because, you remember, they had a Marvel comic book. They put their own blood into the Marvel comic book, and everybody was like, What?! <laughs> and they had action figures. I was actually terrified of Kiss when I was a child. I got—I was about four or five when I saw them in the makeup. It was pretty much towards
2: the end of the whole makeup thing. Wow. I'm, I'm kind of glad we kind of hit the tail end of that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, we also
0: got to miss them going disco on us, which is. Oh my
2: gosh. Oh
0: I was made for loving you, baby. <laughs> that was awful, but somehow that was better than his singing in that song. <laughs> Now, you and I caught Kiss more towards the hair metal years.
2: Right. Yeah, right.
0: I, I remember really loving that album, Revenge, because it was when they ditched the ballads, and then they just kind of went, like, just dirty, almost grunge. And I was right. like, yeah, I can get into this, and then they went back into the costumes again. I was like, come on!
2: <laughs> what well, do you know, when girl, oh my gosh grown man jump back
0: (laughs) it it was a nostalgia money thing we both know this this is just to get hey you know what revenge did well but people are clamoring for
2: this it'd be the one time I'd be happy to have nosebleed seats so I don't have to see them up close
0: (laughs) (sighs) the makeup it's giving me a rash oh god my arthritis
2: oh my gosh well I have to give them props though they can still sing they can still do their thing and just holy cow well According to
0: the the production like history of this movie, I don't know if Peter Chris has ever really been able to do his thing without basic drumming because he is not even in the movie. Him and Ace Freely are like barely there. They didn't show up to do hardly any of their stunts. There's so many scenes where they have people just filling in for them. Did you right. notice that? Yeah. I mean, obviously they're going to have some people come in and do the stunts. They're not going to have Gene Simmons go out on a wire. I mean, the man weighs like basically the size of a a truck it's going to break every wire so no and i'm pretty sure their martial arts skills are non-existent yeah but you literally see uh ace freely has a black stunt man seriously yeah there's a there's a point where they're fighting in the basement they're fighting like i think the werewolf the mummy you know the, the classic monster robots and you see that ace freely is clearly black
2: and you're like, oh, I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean I have to watch this again?) To see no.
0: <laughs> but I'll give the movie credit. It's so insanely bizarre that somehow it's charming in the fact that it's so weird. I mean, the giant cat monsters that were jumping off the roller coaster at them.
2: What was right. that? Right? Homage to Planet of the Apes?" I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The whole movie is
0: it's kind of a homage to horror flicks.
2: Right, because I mean, you have I'd,
0: the Phantom of the Paradise, which is like Phantom of the Opera. Then you have all the classic Mummy and stuff like that pop in. So it's like trying to do a superhero movie mixed with monsters. Because they know when you're 13, that's the coolest thing ever.
2: Right, right. I, I, I'd, I'd have to agree with you there. Even though it's, it, it seems really, really bad at first when you really think about it, and it's, as in its entirety, it's definitely going to have a cult following if it doesn't already.
0: Right. I mean, Hanna Barbera because of they're the, not, they're not stupid. They know that. They got something going. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead.
2: No, no, that's fine. uh, Obviously, it's going to have a KISS following because KISS Army is going to be all over this just because. (laughs) But for the others, you know, us mere mortals, uh, (laughs) 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 Um, I don't know. I could see it definitely has some sort of value to it. But
0: Well, for a long time it was lost I think the band was ashamed of it like the way they're ashamed of The Elder which was supposed to be another Kiss movie it's weird they have a soundtrack to a movie that never happened like that right. usually doesn't happen Usually, usually make the movie first and then go Oh, well let's work on the soundtrack now and then it's like hey no we got nothing we're just free. pretend like we don't <laughs> even have an album look away look away look away <laughs> and so that
2: that didn't happen at all no it never
0: happened i looked for it for years until i found out that it was a soundtrack it says soundtrack to the El- or music from the, elder. music from the elder right so i don't know if i have this wrong that it was never actually intended to be a soundtrack but there is a guy out there right now trying to raise money through kickstarter to make a movie out of the elder it's a great album and the fact that kiss was ashamed of it it's it hurts because they're trying something so unique
2: huh let's say they've got some choir and orchestral oh yeah it's a beautiful it. there's, 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 a, like...
0: there's a couple awkward songs you know where they go beyond their normal reach and it's just like oh no that doesn't work for you guys but you right. can see where they're like they got the producer of the wall and they said hey let's do our own version of the wall let's bring a sword and sorcery in this huge epic world you know and i give them credit for that
2: is it does that well is that where it fits in the sword and sorcery type of thing yep. kind of like man-of-war type of uh well
0: not <laughs> that <laughs> far it, stuff, or... i would say it's more fantasy it would say uh well you would say man of war is more conan whereas the right. elder is more the hobbit maybe okay S- something in that vein it's meant for fa- i mean it's not r-rated or like gory or anything or violent it's just kind of like a story in this world where good against evil light against dark that kind of thing
2: well i've never heard this album i might have to dig it up
0: yeah it's uh it's it's one of those experiments that went well in my mind, but it bombed horribly, and they just said, we're not even going to go on, they didn't even go on tour to support it, so that was a surprise. That's a bummer. Yeah, so, uh, it, you have to give them a little bit of credit with Phantom of the Paradise, they were trying something out of their normal, you know, circle, and yes, it failed horribly, I'm sure at the time, though, it did well in the ratings, but, you know, it's <laughs> like, showing up in this, and chips, and having the comic book, and toys, it kind of, Changed their audience and i think that's why they struggled for a while there until they went back to doing hard rock with like lick it up and uh, animalize and stuff like that all right so our second movie our second movie is uh never too young to die now this is when kiss was in a weird period where the band fell apart ace was gone peter was gone vinnie vincent i think was gone at that time you remember vinnie vincent
1: mm-hmm.
0: well he was actually a hell of a guitarist but he was a Apparently an ego freak, and he uh, had to be kicked out of the band.
2: <laughs> from Vinnie Vincent Invasion.
0: Yeah, so sorry. <laughs> uh, Gene Simmons took that opportunity when the band was kind of lost to go explore acting some more. In fact, he's the only one from uh, Phantom of the Park to go on to do other movies. And, of course, he was great in Runaway. Do you remember that one with Tom Selleck? The little robot spiders and the speed no. that would track you? No. Oh, no. I gotta find this movie for you. Uh, it's set in you know, you know, uh, you know how it's like the distant future, and sometimes it says uh, the day after tomorrow kind of future. You know, the right. It's like one of those where it's not too out of this world or spaceships and stuff like that. Um, Tom Selleck is a cop who specializes in like robotic kind of crimes because okay. robots are now part of our
2: normal <laughs> world. And, like AI for not AI, a uh, robot.
0: Yeah, something like, yeah, yes, iRobot, it's like that, Uh, and Gene Simmons is a terrorist, he uses technology to, you know, commit his crimes, and he has like these little robots he builds that injects poison into people, he's like an assassin, but he also has this bullet that can track your, your DNA signature, so you can never really get away from it, so it just kind of follows you around until it hits its target, it's pretty cool. That sounds familiar. Yeah, and Gene Simmons is totally badass in this, and the movie did okay, it came out at the wrong time, I think it came out against some stiff competition. So his next movie is this, "Never Too Young to Die," and I don't know what his agent was telling him. Was he just like, "Give me anything"? I don't know what to do. Uh, there's no tour going on. I got, I, I can't do a Gene Simmons voice, but it's really like, "Unholy!" No, I just—it's <laughs> a really deep, raspy voice. And uh, he ends up getting "Never Too Young to Die" from this company that had never made a movie before, Paul Entertainment. And it was starring John Stamos as a gymnast whose dad is a secret spy, George Lazenby. Right. Who is considered probably the worst James Bond, but I actually kind of like the movie he was in. But here's the, the funny thing is, George Lazenby, he was in on um, Her Majesty's Secret Service.
2: I did not know that. Oh, well, I thought he, watched, he looked familiar. Yeah.
0: But. He quit the James Bond movie even though he had a contract saying that James Bond was behind the times. Then you fast forward 10 years later, and the only jobs he can get are jobs where he's playing James Bond types. Secret (laughs) agents. Yeah, secret (laughs) agents and spies and government agents. and It's just ridiculous. So he's he's John Stamos' dad. He gets kidnapped, and now they're after John Stamos because he has some special key to some bomb or something. Here's one of these movies where I just watched three weeks ago. I can't remember much. That's not good.
2: This is... This honestly impressed me more than I thought it would. Like I told you, I watched a little bit of it when we decided to do this and finished watching it this morning, and I actually kind of like it,
0: It's nice, honestly. It's a weird movie, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. let's just break it down to the fact that Gene Simmons is a transvestite terrorist, which yeah. I don't think has ever been done, ever.
2: Was it? I don't know. They called him a hermaphrodite in the movie. <laughs> oh, was he? Okay, okay. I think so. <sighs> so I was like... Give me anything, give me any part, I don't care, I just want to work. But, well, here's this part here. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to give him
0: credit. He did not pull back at all. He went no. full boards. Yeah, just, he did. Just chewed every <laughs> scrap of scenery and you're just like, this movie's okay, but that is awesome.
2: Oh, pre- there's some names in here and some I don't know, but some I've looked familiar to me. One in particular that sticks out to me is Riley, the one that pops in like third of the way into the movie robert england like oh
0: oh yeah this must have been right after nightmare on elm street because they say like special appearance by robert england if i remember correctly i'm not sure he was originally supposed to be in the
2: movie awesome well i just made my day
0: (laughs) (laughs) and uh i like his friend the the little gadget guy it's like his own personal cue you know he designed that little that gun with the little what was what exactly did that gun do
1: uh,
2: I don't know. It looked like it shot out flaming bolts that fell on ten feet. In front. Looked like my old Red Rider BB gun. And you <laughs> yeah. could see the BB just fall out the barrel at the end. You know, it wasn't
0: the intention though. Those those little uh, they're not bullets, but they're like little canisters filled with like uh, fuel or something, and they would shoot out, hit Probably. your target. It would attach to the target, and then it would explode. So I kind of it was cool
2: explosion. Yeah, though. I
0: thought he was a cool character, and I was like, huh, oh, he got like a James Bond Junior going here,
2: Cliff. What a name. anyway. <laughs>
0: um, but John Stamos is not that bad. I, I thought maybe for his first performance or his first movie, it'd be like, oh, this isn't going to be good. I was actually, he, he's kind of fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, when, did, when did Full House come out? It came out the year after this. Year after this. Okay, so he's, he's done the same hairdo. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, he was in a TV show with Jack Klugman called You Again. When this oh. was when this was being filmed and then that got cancelled and then he went right into Full House. That's when the mullet went
2: supernova. Right, right. <laughs> Robert should be in on this. Anyway
0: <laughs> Yeah, you know what's funny is we know of actually I think we know of both movies because of Robert because he was a huge KISS fan and I really never even listened to Kiss until he got me into it. And right. I don't I don't think you were either really.
2: Uh, my, my stepdad really loved him as well, so he probably had every album and I mean album, uh, which was cool, honestly, because we had every Beatles album, every Kiss album, you know. But anyway, I digress. So I was not like I wasn't exposed to them. I just had other interests, so a little heavier interests. So
0: I would say if you're a hardcore Kiss fan, check out Kiss Meets a Fan of the Park. If you are just interested in, like, cult, weird movies and stuff like that, uh, Never Too Young to Die, both I would not say are good movies, but they're entertaining movies. And, uh, actually, while we have a couple minutes, there is one movie that we love with Gene Simmons. He's only in a small part of it from the same year, and it's called Trick or Treat.
2: Right, Trick right. or Treat is
0: one of those rubber reality movies, you know, that Nightmare on Elm Street kind of started, where it's like a slasher horror movie, but it's out of our normal realm, where there's special effects and dimensions and stuff like that, and ghosts. That is an awesome movie.
2: Have you seen it in a while? I... Honestly I looked it up the a few weeks ago but I couldn't find it. Yeah, yeah, and Ozzy's in that as well. I forgot oh, about yeah. that.
0: Yeah, that's one so that I, we should check out sometime. Maybe this Halloween.
2: Definitely. Definitely.
0: That if there's well, I'll try to find Runaway too, maybe we have a sequel to this. We'll watch Runaway and Trick or Treat.
2: <laughs> I remember playing the death out of that soundtrack. What was that? Fast
0: <laughs> Fastway? Fastway.
2: Fast Way? Fastback? Fast Way. Fast Way. It was awesome. anyway.
0: <laughs> alright so that's Sorry. it that's got it me for fired us. up for this one yeah. I think that's it for us on these two movies and uh, I don't know do you have any last words about either one of them
2: I, I can honestly say that I won't say don't see them definitely <laughs> definitely. Want to, you want to see them at least once
0: yes just to say okay you guys hold on I've actually seen a movie where Gene Simmons dresses as a crazy terrorist sometimes he wears a mustache and a crappy orange wig and sometimes he's a drag queen it's awesome <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> Alright, that's it for us here at Trash Cinema. Check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. And soon we're gonna be having the official Trash Cinema page where you can check out all the episodes we have in the past and coming in the future. If you have any uh, recommendations for crappy movies you want to torture us with, go ahead and send us a message on Facebook. And I guess that's it.
2: That's it.
0: Alright, this Peace. is Michael. Yeah. Peace and no grease.
2: That's
1: right. <laughs>
0: Trash Cinema. All right, welcome everybody to another great episode of Trash Cinema. This week we're going to be discussing two. I, you know what? I want to say the Sword and Sorcery. One's post apocalypse Sword and Sorcery, one's full on Sword and Sorcery. It's hard to explain. Unless you've seen the movies, we're going to discuss She from 1982 and Red Sonya from 1985. I'm Michael, your host, and my co host,
3: Lord Jacobus of Lord. the Land of Kroll. <laughs>
0: I that would fit perfectly into any of these movies. All right, so the first one up. By the way, if you want to check out these movies, they are both currently on YouTube, uh, complete, and uh, actually an excellent print of She. I have seen She uh, about six or seven times now, and its strange. This truly fascinates me. What did you think of it?
3: I know. I did have to watch it twice because I'm like, okay, this is a little bizarre. Let me go back and watch it over again. But overall, like the whole sword and sorcery '80s fantasy movies, I'm like, eh. Some work. This one, it just seemed that it was filmed at someone's uh, property in L.A. I guess probably probably a place where they shot porn. Just from looking at some of the house. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the
0: movie is shot in Italy. Really? Yeah. Uh, So I don't porn in Italy too. There, there was a thing going on throughout, from the, like, the, uh, the the Hercules movies of the 60s were basically the beginning of the Italian rip-off world. Uh, Italian oh. companies would make movies based on popular American movies. So if Hercules was successful, all of a sudden they started making tons of sword and sandal movies. Uh, then the uh, spaghetti western came out, you know, and uh, A Fistful of Dollars was massive. So everybody started making westerns. Many of those, I'm not sure if they were even legal to take the name Django and... Uh, you know, uh, Sartana and uh, the good, and bad, and ugly kind of motif. And they did like thousands of those. But once the western ran dry, they did crime. My favorite era is the 80s. They ripped off Mad Max, Road Warrior, Conan the Barbarian, Rambo. You know, tons of these movies were being made, and they're so amazingly bad. But the one thing they never do is bore you. Were you bored during she at all?
3: Not at all. There was a scene near the end where uh, one guy's crossing the bridge, and this Robin Williams-esque, like, one-eyed sailor covered in tattoos It's <laughs> <is> just... <laughs>
0: that is my favorite scene. That is my favorite scene. <laughs> that is definitely
3: one of my favorite scenes. I loved watching it. It was just so entertaining.
0: Okay, so to give you a description of the plot, it's very, very difficult because... Uh, okay, the, it, there was a novel uh, by H. Ryder Haggard. He's known for doing King Solomon's Mines, but also one of his famous novels is She. There's been four or five different versions of She, and uh, they all stick closely to the book, except for this version. This takes the very bare bones of a... Uh, she's like the, she is like the queen of these Amazonian warriors. But this is a post-apocalyptic future, not set on an island out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, these two guys, they just need her help to save one of the guy's sisters... And basically, it's a road trip movie. They go from the women's kingdom to find this girl. But along the way, they run across, like, friggin' werewolf monsters, mummies, uh, ninjas. Cannibals. Yeah, cannibals. Anything, any bonker-ass thing that you can think of. What about the guy with, like, the mind powers and the glowing eyes?
3: Yes, uh... That I was a little baffled by. I'm like, what did this? How did this guy uh, even get his powers? Like nuclear waste? Did he yeah, drink something? Yeah. a
0: lot of this happened because of the, the bomb. It's alien? To some sort of the nuclear bomb. Yeah, probably. Bomb. Instead of giving you radiation and killing you, it did like the Marvel twist. It gave people special powers. <laughs> oh, you're all werewolves now. Oh, you can move things with your mind, and you know, and, and all these weird eyeball. It's so comic booky compared yeah, to. I women. know, but
3: yeah. <laughs> the display of his powers, like when he was, uh, you know, she's right hand woman. Like, you know, just spinning her around. I'm like, okay, yeah, she's definitely on a harness on the wall. I'm not convinced.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was
3: so cheap. He but, did. I mean, go ahead. So basically, this guy's like Godan. I guess, well, God's in his name, but I don't think he's an actual God because look at, he got killed. And I will say, his logo was definitely looked more like a hammer and sickle, it looked more Russian.
0: Yeah. Well, there's, got, there's a lot of weird influences going on here. Um, Abby Nesher, he would go on to do probably about a dozen other movies. Some actually pretty decent. This is his first movie and I felt like it was one of those things where he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to throw whatever I want into this. No one's going to buy this. And then one day someone's like, oh, uh, Sandel Bergman's attached to this. She's really hot from Conan the Barbarian and we're going to make it a post-apocalyptic sword and sorcery movie. And uh, oh. It's a green light. And, he, and he's like, really? I, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. That wasn't even a real script. But whatever, sure. <laughs>
3: they just went with it. I know. Sandal Bergman. I do like Sandal Bergman. She's a very, she was very lovely. I thought she was lovely in Red Sonia, but we'll discuss that in a minute.
0: You know, she uh, she was a dancer before she became an actress, and someone had seen her in a movie called All That Jazz with Roy Scheider, and oh, they, uh, they had picked her to be in Conan the Barbarian because she was so graceful and she could handle the fight sequences with panache. Hey.
3: That she was, yes, I, I, I will say that. Any fight sequence she was involved in, she was just very flexible, she was very quick, you know, very fluid, like, it was very believable. I'm like, that, this, I feel like this. if I met this woman, she could kill me yeah. in the heart.
0: <laughs> and uh, I, I enjoy Harrison Mueller. He's the one with the brown curly hair and the beard. He would go on to be a leading man in a bunch of Italian rip-off movies, but this one right here, he's actually quite humorous.
3: I'm, oh, gosh, I kind of forget which character he was.
0: So the, the two main guys, there's a the big bulky blonde guy, And then there's the goofy one with the beard who's always getting in trouble.
3: That guy, yes. The the asshole. (laughs) Then you got the
0: villain who's maybe the ugliest man I've ever seen, Gordon Mitchell. That guy had a face like Skeletor.
3: He did, and he reminded me a bit like Bill Nighy and the villain from uh, Indiana Jones' uh, Last Crusade.
0: Okay, okay. uh, Yeah.
3: Yeah, the one who played General Veers.
0: Yeah, I can't remember now, but I know you're talking about the one that dies in the tank crash.
3: No, not him. Uh, the one who like drinks from the wrong grail oh, and ages. Really? and
0: uh, I wouldn't have thought yeah. that. I thought it was more the, the Nazi guy in the tank. Um, yeah, he is just one of the most hideous men uh, on the planet because there's just something not right. I don't know if he was born that way or if he was in an accident, but, man, he got a lot of work because of that face.
3: Yep. he and, he always, and it seems like he always played a villain. Plus, yeah, his legion did happen to be Nazi knights. Yeah. It's
0: a really <laughs> crazy movie, and the action sequence at the end uh, is like a, a mixture of the end of Conan, you know, where they're were, they were setting all the traps up and everything, and the A-Team. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they got all these, like, <laughs> ability to build stuff so fast. I swear, they build an entire defense fort in roughly five minutes.
3: Yeah. And that, and, uh, as far as uh, she being a goddess, I'm like, I don't get it. What makes her so, like, a goddess? I, does she have super strength? Does she, can she fly? She's a great warrior, but still... Anybody could become a great skilled warrior.
0: Well, there's another show show that we do called Video Nights, me and my friend Andrew, and we were discussing the Mad Max movie. Now, you know how they recast the Mad Max movie. You know, Mel Gibson's no longer in it. They have Tom Hardy. And we were discussing that it doesn't necessarily need to be the same actor every time. They can constantly recast it because Mad Max is something of a legend. Like, there may be a true story. Like, the original Mad Max may be all, you know supposed to be what really happened to him but the rest is like as time goes on myth builds you know like the way we do with hercules or robin hood exactly. we add things to that's what I was thinking about she she was probably just a very strong powerful leader but since it was a time where there's no tv there's no radio it's only word of mouth you know telephone can change stories so therefore she becomes a legend bigger than she really is precisely so she, yeah so she no she didn't have powers but maybe through Telling stories about her, it became bigger and bigger to the point where it does seem like she's uh, supernatural.
3: Yeah, indeed. And there's, and I will say this: uh, as far as the original music, some of the songs I heard were just downright dumb. But I will, <laughs> but knowing that Motorhead, like some of the ones that I did like, were actually the ones by Motorhead.
0: Yeah, well, there's a there's a guy who was popular around that time called Rick Wakeman. He uh, in the late '70s, he was like one of those progressive rock guys. You can find a bunch uh, of his yeah. albums online. He would do like a mixture between progressive rock and like old world music, like old Celtic music and sword and sword. Oh stuff. wow! Like fans, like the kind of stuff you see here at a Renaissance fair. He somehow combined Renaissance fair music with progressive rock of the '70s. So it's like as if Pink Floyd and Enya got together. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that is pretty trippy. Although I'm I'm surprised they didn't, didn't put Lemmy in that movie because he is a god.
0: You know, what? they would have
3: had like heavy metal, like all, you know. War. They could have visited this heavy metal you know, area or arena or something like that. Yeah, the funny and, he, thing is, and, yeah. and he would be
0: known as the Killmaster. He could just show up for like, like a couple minutes and be like, yeah, and then move on or whatever and we're all okay with
3: just like, Just like, you know, play his bass guitar and lightning bolts will shoot down, you know, <laughs> which would have, probably would have set up, you know, in, you know, brutal legend the video game. <laughs>
0: now, it is not a good movie, but it is a highly entertaining movie. I totally recommend this one.
3: And then there was that one doctor that was like dressed up in a like 18th century uh, Victorian outfit no, not Victorian, but 18th century. You know, something that you'd see during the you know, 1770s. Yeah. Stuff like that. Doctor doing experiments with them. That I didn't get. And he had this really dumb, this really dumb oaf slave just in a, just, just as a ballerina and a clown.
0: Oh, God, I remember no. that. Oh, who yeah, was the have... actor who said, you know what, I'm totally swallowing my dignity on this one. I'm going to dress in a tutu and run around <laughs> the woods, which looked cold. That, that did not look like a warm shooting experience. It looked like they're freezing their butt off.
3: It did not seem fun at all.
0: <laughs> but kudos to that dude, whoever he is. Do you recommend he, this movie?
3: Uh, well, yeah, actually I can, yes, for its entertainment. Quite so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so our second movie is Red Sonia. I thought this was the third part of Conan the Barbarian for the longest time. I saw this in the theaters. I had just seen Conan the Destroyer, and... Um, I haven't been able to see Conan the Barbarian yet because it was so insanely gory. We just saw Red Sonia at the drive in. I want to say I saw it with um, uh, Raw Deal. I think that was a double feature of Schwarzenegger movies. And Oh, yeah. Let me tell you this I slept through Raw Deal. That's probably one of his worst movies. Red Sonja, um, I, I seriously, I thought he was playing Conan the whole time. Did you?
3: Me too. Yeah, as a kid, yeah, I thought it was Conan, but no, his name was Kalidor.
0: I remember actually getting into an argument with someone one day because he was convinced it was uh, Conan Part 3 and that Call the Conqueror was Conan Part 4. And I was like, dude, Arnold Schwarzenegger's not even in Call the Conqueror, so I don't even know what you're talking about. He goes, yeah, but it's a Conan movie. I go, no, it's called Call the Conqueror, not Conan the Conqueror. And uh, Red Sonja was part of that argument.
3: Yeah, Red Sonja actually does take place in Hyboria, in the same realm and lands as Conan. And later on in the comic books, um, they would actually join forces together. There would be, what's the right word I'm looking for? Crossover? Team-up series? Yeah, yeah
2: team-up. crossover series. Well,
0: you know, Red Sonja is introduced in the Conan books and the comics, so therefore their adventure is together. So why in the hell is Arnold Schwarzenegger playing a different character? Why is he not okay. Conan?
3: I know it didn't make sense. They could have had some other. They could have had someone else come in and play Caldor, and then Conan. They could have met Conan along the way.
0: Right, or just make it a Conan the Barbarian movie, and then just add Red Sonia to the franchise. Like in the second movie, why is Grace Jones even in it? Why isn't? That's a perfect opportunity right there to introduce Red Sonia.
3: Right, although I will give credit to Grace Jones, she was a she was yeah, pretty awesome.
0: Scary as hell. <laughs>
3: Yes, she was. She was very frightening. He's like, if you want a man, take him.
0: All right, so Red Sonia, <laughs> what I can figure out about the movie is Sandal Bergman's the villain. Uh, years earlier before, okay, the movie instantly starts. It just jumps right in, and you're, um, like, within a few seconds, so you're back into a flashback. You're like, wait, where are we at? Uh, uh, Sandal Bergman is a warrior princess again. Uh, she is trying to take over this kingdom, and at the same time, she's trying to have lesbian sex with Red Sonia. And she denies her. She slays her family as vengeance. and, and Sonia slashes her face and gets away. Am I wrong? The beginning is very odd.
3: Yeah, no. Well, the thing is, what happens? I guess the, well, I guess the queen is coming by, and I guess they refuse. They refuse to give her aid because she's so evil, and then she kills their family. After Red Sonya gets a whack at her, and then her men have her way with Sonia. Oh
0: yeah, which is, for a PG movie, that's pretty harsh, man.
3: It is. I know, it's like, and it's a, crap. and it's a terrible. Terrible subject, but, you know, Red Sonia then gets graced by a goddess and becomes a warrior.
0: And I will say this, as dumb as the movie is, it looks gorgeous. They put so much production value into all those set pieces. You're just like, Oh, stunned. they did, yes. Um, who is he that plays Red Sonia again? I, I can't believe I forgot her name already. Uh, Brigitte Nielsen. Remember, Brigitte Nielsen.
3: Well, Stallone, but, yeah, that was like her big debut.
0: Yeah, that's her debut. Yeah, she was a model before this, and they were looking around for someone who's Amazonian, that could play red sonya but i don't think height is necessarily the point i think you need to get a good actress first and she cannot act for shit Not no she couldn't even the slightest like all she does is flare her nostrils that's her talent is just...
3: i know but i mean she as far as the sword fighting choreography no that was believable she did great at that
0: yeah that part she's fine with except for there is one sequence where you know the the part towards the end where her and uh, Arnold are going at it to see who loses first and then they'll sleep with each other. That was and, goofy. Uh, that
3: was pretty.
0: That was a clumsy ass fight. Like, the first part is supposed to be fast and wicked, and already she's like, uh, you know, like, it's like she's counting the numbers in her head. Her head. Uh, you know how you do, have you ever done stage fighting? Yes,
3: they have choreography. Yeah, one, two,
0: three, four. You know, each movement of the hand is a four, number. Five, four, one, yeah. two, one. And you can almost see her doing that. To, like mouthing the numbers that she's fighting <laughs> it's like oh this isn't good
3: yeah although i will say the one who trained i it's like after the whole incident at the temple where the, you know sandal bergman and her army like steal the jewel and then it cuts to red sonja i'm thinking like was that the that was that the same swordmaster that trained conan that's what i was thinking too or at no, least was, part of that tribe and clan you know what i don't even remember
0: now i have to watch conan the barbarian again to, to see what he looked like it's possible i mean it makes sense same producer, Dino De Laurentiis, uh, Richard Fleischer directed Conan the Destroyer. It wouldn't surprise me if they just had the same team. I mean, they had to shoot it in um, another country, so they probably only had limited resources. So, yeah, I, I would be surprised if it was the same guy.
3: Yeah, and as far as the music goes by Ennio Morricone, I, I, like, you know when it's, like, it's just showing Red Sonja and she's just galloping, you know, casual, gentle. I did not like the score there. I thought it was pretty laughable. But then when it got to the fighting, it it, it kicked up.
0: Yeah, you know, and the funny thing is that he's not exactly a guy who's known for bad scores, but he is no Basil Paladoris. He killed it all. in the first two Conan movies. The score on that is so strong. It dun, 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 you know, the really hard pounding. But maybe yeah, uh, they thought, well, Ennio Morricone, maybe he can make a more sophisticated female. I don't know why you can't have a female-driven action movie with a hard-driving score. I guess maybe he thought, think- oh, a little softer. Orp.
3: It's like, oh, she's a lady. Let's be soft. It's like, no, she's a oh, warrior. Oh, whoa, right?
0: whoa, she's she a can lady. Be, <laughs>
3: she could like be in Tom a tent. Just like Tom Jones in an bar. Oh,
0: whoa. <laughs> <laughs> into a gourd with a chest hair oh, popping God. out, gold chains. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No. Oh, also, who
3: else is in that? Oh, Ernie Grace Jr.
0: Oh, badass. Even at, like, what, eight? He's so awesome. Yet, he is annoying as hell. I wanted to slap him, but he redeems himself. What?
3: He does, yes. He like he finds that he you know he finds the keyhole that uh, opens up the door so they can get out of there. Then he gets trapped in. It's like oh my gosh, he was about to sacrifice himself. You Little.
0: Yeah, he <laughs> no. takes responsibility. It was actually a good turn. But I gotta tell you this. Well, every time he would say "boy, boy," you know, I just wanted the tall man from Phantasm right behind him going "boy."
3: Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that kind of an obscure uh, reference. <laughs> I know. Oh. And also, I think uh, Ernie Rice Senior was the fight coordinator.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise er- me, and he's an excellent uh, fight coordinator. You know what? You know Ernie Rice doesn't get his due. And in fact, I wonder what happened to him. He pops up every once in a while. I wonder if he's just more focused on teaching than showing off in films. But you remember for a while he was a sensation. You know, Ninja Turtles Two, Surf Ninjas, and then yeah. I remember him showing up in Rundown, and he was just like a beast, just raw. Yeah, he
3: was. He was. He was ripped.
0: Yeah, I just, I I, yeah, think, sh- I seem like he had a good future ahead of him, but then it just stopped. And I don't know if it was his choice or people just stopped asking him to act.
3: I guess he, I guess he was like, you know, coming back into the spotlight. I know he still does work, like as far as choreography goes, but actual, like on screen stuff, not so much. And I think he does stick to teaching as well. It, they love doing it. Well, kudos to him. they still do. Yeah if, oh, you, yeah, if
0: you can't do it on the screen, show it off to other people. Get them trained and ready for that kind of world. Uh, I oh, also exactly. love Paul L. Smith. I can't remember his character's name, but he's the guy who watches over Ernie Rice Jr. You know, he's a big yeah. dude. He was a Big guy, big oaf. <laughs>
3: he was He was great to watch. And she's like giving him advice. He's like, yeah, next time you bend him over and spank him. He needs to be taught some manners. I would have smacked that little shit too. Yeah. But, I don't blame him him. but he's
0: great. I mean, for a big dude, he handled his action sequences very well. I was like, oh, he's not going to be able to move at all. He's too big. And all of a sudden you just see him and you're like, oh, all right. Never mind. He's just pretty handle- quick. <laughs> You know what he's famous That's... for? You know what, what got him famous? Was the Popeye movie. He played Bluto.
3: Oh my gosh, you're right. That's why he sounded so familiar. I was like, wait a minute, why? Where the hell have I seen this man? <laughs> and yes, Robert Altman's film starring Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall.
0: The, uh, overall, I would say it's still entertaining, but it's a huge, huge drop from the two Conan movies. And, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, Brigitte Nelson is so bad. Cause Samuel Bergman, and she brings it. She brings her A game. She kills it in those fight sequences. She does. She I just thought choose the scenery.
3: Right. Yes, and she was a power hungry, you know, villain. I'm like shit. She, she'd be a perfect. She. It, it was like a dark sorceress version of Michelle Bachman or Sarah Palin.
0: <laughs> you know, I'll say this: outside of the Terminator movies, female heroes were very few and far between. It seemed like we constantly rejected them. Because right around that time, we also rejected Supergirl. And I feel like we rejected a couple other movies around that time. And it's just, uh, I don't know why it took us so long to accept women in action roles.
3: Yeah, I don't know why either. I mean, seriously. I, yeah, Sarah Connor, I think, was one of the biggest ones. And, and of and course, there North was also Ripley. Princess Leia. There was also Princess Leia before that. I mean, come on. It's just, like, even, t- like, even today, there's still problems with that. Like I said, that's, um, we definitely need feminism in cinema.
0: Yeah, do you think like, they're going to redo Red Sonja? I remember for years, uh, Rose McGowan was attached to the movie, yes. but it just never happened, which is a. Yes, they
3: were mentioning. Yeah, they were mentioning it around the time when they were trying to bring uh, when they were remaking Conan yeah. or rebooting Conan, which sadly flopped. Yeah, and it also had Rose McGowan.
0: I don't think it's that good. I think it's a. Uh, it's not. No. But Red Sonia was actually in pre-production before Conan, and I just don't understand what happened. Were they waiting? Is that what you're saying? They're waiting for Conan to see how it did before they financed Red Sonia. Yes. You know, Rose McGowan destroyed her elbow permanently because she was doing flips, like all these they practice stunts, whatever, and she was doing flips, handstands, and it like crushed something in her elbow. They literally had to remove a piece of her elbow because it just obliterated it. And not only oh. that, but then she didn't get to be in the movie. <laughs> but at least it gave Sadly. her uh, um, a chance to be in Conan.
3: Yeah. Although I, I do love Jason Momoa. And look at that guy. He's still going to have a great career. He's going to be Aquaman now. Right. I, I think
0: Conan would be good. I think they should take Conan to HBO. Make it a, you know, because, like, you know, Game of Thrones here, yeah. is doing really great. Take Conan, an hourly show. They'll have the money to probably do a budget, you know, maybe $5, uh, five, ten million 10000000 million an episode and just fill it with gore and violence and sex, just like the books. Make it as pulpy as possible. And, yeah, you don't have to worry about box office returns. And each chapter could explore another one of the great stories by Robert E. Howard.
3: Exactly, I mean, they and they should also do something like that with Judge Dredd, they should definitely do that, yeah. you can show all off Alright,
0: so let's go get a pitch meeting over at HBO, we gotta go guys <laughs> 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 Alright, we That's are past that, the yeah. 20 minute point, so I guess we should wrap up our episode Do you recommend Red Sonja?
3: Sadly no, it's yeah. all Brigitte Nielsen's fault, I mean if you love Samuel Bergman that much, then yes, by all means
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say it looks beautiful, the action sequence is pretty decent, but overall, no I will say no to Red Sonja
3: yeah, I know. Like I said, you know, great, looks great. Terrible main actress. So. Yeah. <laughs>
0: all right, that's it for us Chilly
3: here. Comedy.
0: Check out our episodes on Retro Rocket Entertainment, and soon we're going to be building a Trash Cinema page with all of our episodes. Thank you everybody for your support. I'm Michael signing off.
3: This is Lord Jacobus. I may you have a good journey. you Do
0: <laughs> You try to come up with something new every week. I love that. Mine should be a uh, peace, grease, and no space. I don't. I have no idea. I'm an idiot. I didn't think PC. about that. <laughs> All right, <laughs> good night everybody. <laughs> All
1: right, good night. Trash cinema.
0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Trash Cinema. I'm your host, Michael, my co-host. Tony. And uh, this week we're going to be discussing kind of, I don't want to say it's Ozploitation, because those movies are usually like R-rated, uh, gore and blood and violence and sex. These are kind of like when Australian movies got kind of mainstream for a brief moment, and uh, they decided to do some more studio fare. So we're going to talk about... Uh, Lightning Jack and Reckless Kelly. Two, they're kind of westerns. One's a modern-day western, one is a literal western, and has an Australian spin on them. And uh, I have to say this, normally we talk about movies that are just batshit insane or just terrible. I actually kind of like these movies, even though they're not really considered good movies.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on this one. These two are particularly terrible movies, but I will fight someone tooth and nail (laughs) to... (laughs) to the to the death if they were to say that they were bad movies i love these movies i really really do
0: yeah uh so the first one lightning jack um i remember being very very excited when the trailers were on tv and when it bombed i was like what happened and it was gone before i could even go and see it and uh that was kind of disappointing because i think everything was riding on paul hogan having another huge hit
1: yeah i mean this was right in the time of crocodile dundee and dundee 2 just hit and uh, right before he started doing some of his weirder stuff, like Almost an Angel and his third Crocodile Dundee uh, Crocodile Dundee in L.A. Which I heard him so like, saying. Have you seen the third one? I, I own the third one. I actually love that movie, too. Not because it's good, but because it's so awesome bad. <laughs> uh,
0: no, actually, Almost an Angel is uh, between Crocodile Dundee 2 and Lightning Jack. Uh, that one bombed. It came out uh, Christmas in 1990. Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, but... For some reason, everybody thought this one was going to be because Almost an Angel was more of a drama. It wasn't really that funny, but Lightning Jack, the trailer, killed, and it looked like it was going to be a really fun romp. And uh, I remember when he was trying to raise the money for this movie. He didn't want to go with a normal production company, he wanted to give back to his country. So he gave everybody an opportunity to invest in the movie. Like, if you donated like $500, you got like executive producer credit or something like that. It was this big fundraising thing. It was like before Indiegogo or uh, what's the other big one again? Kickstarter?
1: Kickstarter, yeah. It,
0: it was like that. So he raised $25 million. I don't know even if there's 25 million people in Australia. And yet somehow he raised the entire budget from people of his country. And when it bombed, that had to suck a bit.
1: Yeah, and like what stinks though is that uh, like these two storylines really keep the core of the australian story which they don't really have the basic hero type of character they have the anti-heroes or the people that ride away into the sunset people that don't take a cord. and so almost an angel which was a drama had that feeling and this movie too where it's like he's clearly not a hero but really he's kind of a hero
0: yeah it's funny he's a bad guy but he's kind of like a safe bad guy he just wants to be known he doesn't really have any interest in killing people or uh, being a villain he just wants to have some sort of notoriety and it's yeah, really funny, like, his search for fame is
1: uh, kind of odd. <laughs> extremely odd. I, I like it, though, because it's a buddy cop movie, but it's a buddy criminal movie with a also a coming of age, too, for Cuba Gooding Jr. And one of his best roles primarily because he doesn't have any words or lines yeah, in this role. A single
0: word. OK, so you could say that he's overacting, but if you take away speech, you're going to have to do whatever it takes to communicate Stuff. My favorite thing is the fact that he is such a shitty shot. Like, he'll yeah. shoot himself in the foot, he'll shoot people in the ass. He is truly god-awful, and his reactions sell. I just yeah.
1: sell him. But he's miserable, too, and he's being treated poorly, and he's a perfectly functioning human being. And it's, it's an interesting way to portray that and not be because he's black. It's because he's afflicted with being mute, because his parents had cholera, according to one of the guys, when he was born or whatever.
0: Yeah, so he can hear... And he has no brain problems. He just literally cannot speak. He can write. In fact, isn't there a sequence, if I remember correctly, where he can write very, very well, and that upsets some people because even like rich white folks did not have the same kind of skills that he had?
1: Yeah, and yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because that's also a part of the time where all you can do is write, and not everybody is literate in the Wild West, and so writing is sometimes an insult. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think Simon Winsor was given a lot of grief for this because he had come off of Lonesome Dove, which won tons of awards, and he did Quickly Down Under, which is well received, but then he did this, and all of a sudden everybody kind of turned on him like, what are you doing this crap for? I actually thought there was a lot of subtle commentary laid throughout the movie, you know, there's all this goofiness on top, there's a, there's a line of commentary going on, which is actually really smart.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, it's not a straight drama like any of his previous stuff, but, uh, you know, the pseudo-action fun part of it with this thin layer underneath of really intelligible stuff was really just a good example of not having enough of either side and kind of just getting tripped in the middle where the young crowd couldn't quite get into it and the older crowd just didn't understand it.
0: Right, and, you know, Beverly D'Angelo is always good. She's, uh, she's great in this movie. Oh, yeah. She doesn't get a lot of juicy roles. I think mostly she's known for just the Vacation series. I think this one kind of stands out as something decent. It's just, you know, um, she's not the focus. The focus is, like you said, it's a buddy comedy or a yeah. but, uh, criminal comedy. Uh, it reminds me of uh, a little bit of, uh, what is it, uh, Three Fugitives. Yeah. You know, that kind yeah. of balance where it's comedy and crime and it's uh, a little bit
1: of gravitas, but for the most part it's just wacky behavior. Yeah, and like, going back to what you are saying before, there was a lot of sequences where you didn't even think about it, but uh, the, the main female characters that appeared in this, they were both whores. And nobody cared. It didn't matter. It was a regular piece of life. They weren't treated poorly or treated better. They were just themselves. And there was also an instance where one of the uh, sheriff that he meets used to be an old friend of uh, Lightning Jack himself. And it was a situation to where he's like, you know, this sucks. Like, I'm living my life. You're living your life. We separated. But, you know, and like there was no hard feelings. They didn't hate each other. They just understood that each person was doing their thing. And that's interesting in a movie this old in a movie that just so poorly understood because it's like this is actually really close to what life is like people just go different directions and people do different things but that doesn't make you better or worse than anybody else
0: yeah that might be the problem because I think a lot of your audiences especially American audiences at least at that time I think there's you know changed quite a bit over the last couple of decades but they want their villains to be pure white you know not color white but you know what i mean like white and black they yeah they, they yeah want it to be the good guy is good and the bad guy is evil you know uh, there's no gray and yeah. of those movies that bounces out i mean it's the culture of australia considering that they were outcast from their own country and sent australia that they always yeah. kind of like you know what sometimes people make mistakes and they change or sometimes the good people go bad it's a uh, it's a complicated relationship, I think, with
1: with how they were treated. No, it's definitely a if you look at it closely, it's it's an anti-establishment movie, which is primarily what Australian you know stories are about because they were a penal colony. So, establishment wasn't always a great thing. It's understood that it can be necessary, but sometimes there's bad eggs in both sides of the fence, and so like you'll have your clear villains who are just villains, uh, criminals, and Jesse James and all that, which you know in case. Uh, in point, uh, Paul Hogan's character just flat out mocks the entire time. He's like, no, these guys are jokes or they're idiots. They don't know what they're doing. Wild Bill, now nah, whatever, he's nothing. I'm, I'm better than them, you know. And then you'll have uh, the government people who are trying to, you know, do things and events and trying to promote themselves as these over-the-top police figures just so they can get uh, really good uh, publicity on in the East Coast. And so it's interesting seeing that dichotomy of the universe.
0: And the one thing is. You know, for the most part, you believe that Lightning Jack is full of crap. You know, he's all talk, no show. But then if they finally reveal that he is a hell of a shot. He is actually a really great hero when he wants to be one. I thought that was kind of a cool reveal because a lot of times in Western comedies, goofballs the whole way.
1: Yeah, which is... You know, also funny because yeah, he's uh he's what he's far sighted. Uh, he can't read a, a thing close to him. He wow. requires glasses, which is his big weakness, and is what ties him and Kubikunen uh, Jr. together with his eyesight and his uh, uh, muteness. So having that weakness, and you're like, oh, he's gonna be like a terrible shot. I was like, nope, nope, he's an eagle eye. He has all these uh, bad juju beads all over him to prevent uh, snake bites and bears, and <laughs> have great eyesight. And you're just left wondering is this guy a rube or does he have some actual like idea about what's going on in the universe?
0: You know, one thing that fascinates me about Paul Hogan is that he came to a star kind of later in life and he's always had control over a lot of his projects. If he doesn't direct them, he at least produces them, which I think, you know, the success of the crocodile Dundee movies leads us into the fact that Yahoo Sirius was considered to be the next big thing after crocodile Dundee, you know, uh, he was even on the cover of Time Magazine. Everybody was saying he was going to sweep the world. And Young Einstein was a big hit internationally, but it didn't do shit here. And, yeah, which is a shame. Yeah, but he got a huge budget for Reckless Kelly in consideration. I think uh, Young Einstein cost like $4 million, but but uh, Reckless Kelly cost 15 And at first yeah. I was like, you're watching the first half hour of the movie, and you're just waiting for something to happen, like big budget. Like, why, why is this $15 million? And all of a sudden it changes. You're like, oh, okay, you spent your money well yeah yeah uh so the the plot of reckless kelly is it's kind of a play on reality because reckless kelly was a real person correct
1: yes 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 yeah yeah he was ned old. kelly was an actual criminal that uh, that is well known in the australias and is currently even being debated as is he a folk hero or is he just you know a two-bit thief
0: oh so we've kind of turned him into a robin hood legend
1: Kind of, yeah, partially, because like it's it's a back and forth sometimes. Like Robin Hood, it's clearly like, oh yeah, you know, the prince was terrible and the king was away and so the prince was playing and Robin Hood was the hero. But uh, you know, the Australian lore is they're still going back and forth about it. You know, half of the uh, half of the Australians like, yeah, you know, this is a, a man of the people. He was uh, you know he was true to himself and did it the best he could. And then the other half of it was like, no, he was just a two-bit thief and a criminal and a murderer and this and the other thing. And I'm like, they're both technically not wrong to a degree, but uh, it's just that the way that Australian heroes are portrayed, it's very different. So cat's is a very thin line compared to our hard line of good and bad here.
0: Yeah, and uh, so the story here is the fact that he's a descendant of Ned Kelly, and it's his whole bloodline. They're considered the Kellys, the criminals or whatever. But he's the only one who actually does anything. The rest of them just sit around drinking beer while little kangaroos bounce. around. I thought it was so funny. I, at the time I saw it the first time when it first came out or whatever, the kangaroos yeah. bowing, 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 bowing. <laughs> it killed me. It absolutely killed me then. And you know what? I, I still enjoyed it, even though it's truly cartoonish.
1: I also enjoyed the fact that uh, Reckless Kelly was surprisingly smart. Like, they laid the groundwork for everything that was going to happen in the movie. There was tons of foreshadowing. If you ever watched Joe versus the Volcano, where they literally foreshadowed everything that was going to happen in the movie at the very beginning of it uh-huh. you you really enjoy this because almost everything that happens at the end of it was foreshadowed at the beginning of this including like uh, the gas pump getting gum in it and all like the background information and the money information and the fact that they're going broke and it's like there's all just laying groundwork as they are going through
0: yeah and everything he sets up does get paid off there's nothing oh, yeah. like oh this is just a joke for a joke's sake the jokes hang- like the whole thing about trying to teach his dog how to say corn flakes. cone flakes and then at the end the dog starts talking it's completely ridiculous but underneath all the ridiculousness there is a yet another satire of fame and not just fame but uh gun obsessions Uh, because he is um so he's a criminal in australia he's amazing but he's now i I, I apologize it's been since i saw it uh is it that he just gets a contract to be famous or he decides that he needs to go to america i'm sorry he needs to go to america get enough money to save his island right
1: Yeah, so the thing about him being in Australia is that they are very strict about robbing banks and giving back to the poor. And so he robs banks, and he gives it back to the poor, and then there's actually a member of his family who then accounts for it so that the poor will have receipts to do on taxes when they come around. (laughs) But – He starts talking to the family saying, we're not going to make any money if we rob banks and give it to the poor. And the family's like, well, that's what you do. It's how it's going to be. And so um, this character, who's also named Ned Kelly after his famous relative Ned Kelly, says, well, you know, uh, in America, when you rob a bank, you keep it for yourself. And they're like, really? Well, that's weird. But uh, then he gets the idea. He's like, well, I'm going to go to America and start robbing banks there. (laughs) And so that's the deal. He goes to America, attempts to rob a bank. Uh, the bank attempts to give him a loan instead of, you know, uh, just giving him wrong. cash. That was
0: such a, a bizarro scene. They seem like so happy just to give him any credit. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're American. Uh, we don't know. We don't care who you are. Just go ahead.
1: You know, take our credit. But, but, he basically trips on the way, and as he's there, he trips on a couple of sequences that gets him aware, uh, gets him known by a producer, and the producer then discovers he has potential to get this guy as a pretty rock and action star, and so he brings him in and says, "Hey." I will. I want you in my movie, and Ned Kelly says to him, "Well, I'll be in your movies, but you're gonna have to pay me a million dollars to pay for, to buy my island." Uh, who, and is, so that's,
0: who is the director guy? John. Oh, you know he passed away a couple of years ago. He, he did a lot of stand-up. It
1: drives me nuts. Who is that? John. Uh, is it Ritter? I don't, I don't think it's Ritter. No, it's uh, it's it's. Yeah, I got I got nothing. But anyway, so. Uh, so anyways, going back to the whole laying down the groundwork early on, at the beginning of the movie, he robs a bank, and he happens to meet this random girl who's reciting Shakespeare in the middle of his robbery, and it just kind of catches his eye, and her name happens to be Robin, Robin Banks. Oh, that's and, right, I didn't uh, notice that until now. <laughs> and so him and Robin Banks happen to be on the same flight from Australia to America, where she's connecting, apparently, to somewhere else to do plays on Broadway, and so he gets this film and says, hey, Robin, I'm an actor now, and I have a serious role. And so he gets Robin to come back, and they do some scenes, and Robin convinces him that guns aren't the answer. Guns are just an excuse. And so towards the you know, end of the movie, he starts becoming an active non-gun user, which is interesting because you know, he was all about guns. That was his thing. You had to have guns rob banks. Otherwise, what's the point?
0: Uh, there's one sequence, uh, oh, by the way, the guy's name is John Panette. I really enjoyed his performance with his mom. Those two just Ah. cracked me up. Uh, there's a sequence where he is pumped full of bullets and he just, he literally has holes that squeak and stuff like that. It's one of the most bizarre sequences. Like he just got riddled with bullets, but he's apparently completely fine. He just needs to duct tape himself up. And I think it's like a commentary on, like, Rambo-style movies where it's just one guy against a thousand and they just unload all these bullets and it always seems like they never get
1: harmed. And the best part, though, was that it's not a matter of seeming like. They actually explain why he survives it, and it's because his father had a high, quote-unquote, constitution against bullets, and he seemed to have developed that constitution. <laughs> and so, you know, he, he's slightly more resilient than your average person, such as getting shot through the lung— and only having a slight leak coming out. Like, oh, oh, that's a lung shot again. Let's go and get a bandage over that.
0: <laughs> and we haven't talked about the villain, uh, Hugo Weaving, in one of his very first roles.
1: Yeah, I, I totally forgot Hugo Weaving was on there. I was like, oh, man, what are you doing here, Hugo?
0: You you almost see, like, that's the basis for uh, his agent role in The Matrix. Like, there's this cool oh, yeah. guy who that look on his face. You just wait for him to go, Mr. Anderson.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's fun seeing him in such a young role with, you know, wearing the suit type of thing and him being the big bad guy, and the big bad guy is a bank, you know, it's it's all just comes full circle to everything being revolving around banks and money.
0: And, you know, at the end of the movie, he, him and his men try to take the island, literally they, had, like, they put a big hook into the island with a rope and they're trying to take it with a tugboat, yeah. and it's one of the craziest, it's very Looney Tunes. But at the same time, it's not so insane. You're just like, this is bullshit. It, <laughs> it's just really crazy. It, it, I can't. I'm not even sure now that I think about it. The more I think about the movie, the more I don't think it's stupid. It's just Yahoo series has such an oddball sense of humor. Yeah, yeah I don't, it's, it's hard for people to understand.
1: No, I mean it's it's definitely designed to be fun, but to a point. Like it's not just aimless fun and ridiculousness. There is development in the character and development in everyone that's growing and moving, um, but it's really like wedged in between slapstick comedy and just insane, bonkers situations to where you're just left with your mouth gaped open, going, "What did I just watch? <laughs> I know. Uh, did this man it... just make body armor out of trash cans and tins and what have you." Did uh, did
0: you ever see the third movie he made, his final movie, Mr. Accident?
1: I did. Yes. Is it crap? Um. It's just like Reckless Kelly. Either you're going to love it or you're going to look at yourself going, why did I even bother picking this up? <laughs> yeah, the,
0: um, yeah, it's kind of a shame that he is gone because he had a lot of like original ideas, and it's kind of a bummer.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun and interesting, and for once he was in a role to where it wasn't over-the-top slapstick. There was some comedy in it, but the comedy was what was kind of in the background, and there was a serious drama going on. And so it was kind of fun seeing that aspect of him to where – he toned it down a little more than uh, than what he did with Young Einstein and with uh, with this movie as well with Reckless Kelly. It was him just trying to you know understand his international audience and still not quite getting it right.
0: Yeah, it's a bummer that he never connected the way uh, Paul Hogan did. So of these two movies, do you recommend them?
1: Um, I would recommend for your standard moviegoer to watch Lightning Jack. That one. Is a little closer to being grounded into to what a person would more enjoy here or there. If you're willing to go a little bit on the wild side, then uh, Reckless Kelly is where your money is. So it comes down to just how how much of a level of seriousness you're willing to go. Are you going for out of this universe, you know, ridiculous Reckless Kelly? Or are you going for mostly kind of ridiculous Lightning Jack? Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I am totally on the same page with you. One is a little more mainstream, like you can show it to your grandparents and it'd be cool. The other one it's kind of a head scratcher if you're not in that right state of mind.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Alright, so thank you everybody for checking us out. We're on Retro Rocket Entertainment, and you can catch every episode of Trash Cinema that we've done in the last few months. And if you have a double feature you want to recommend, let us know. And otherwise, uh, I'm out.
1: Thank you, guys.
0: Alright, have a good night.
1: Trash Cinema.
0: Hey, welcome everybody to another great episode of Trash Cinema. I'm your host, Michael, and my co host,
1: Tony.
0: Alright, this week we're going to be discussing. This one's a little bit off kilter because usually we discuss two movies that are unintentionally bad. These are. We're discussing John Water movies, specifically uh, Surreal Mom and Cecil B. Demented. Now he's a weird one to judge because his movies are kind of tasteless and trashy on purpose. So it's hard to say whether or not they're good movies. How did
1: you feel about the movies? I, I like to judge John Waters' movies on his formula and how he executes his formula. And if you ever watch a John Waters movie, the basic formula is you have the perfectly normal or whatever type of person that just slowly goes mad throughout the entirety of the movie until the end of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, here's the weird thing. is Now, this will probably upset a few people since we're talking about John Waters. I have never seen one of his early movies. I've never seen Pink, Pink flamingos, or anything like that. Uh, the first one I ever saw was Hairspray, so I kind of have the mainstream version of John Waters in my head, which is bizarre to say. This is mainstream.
1: No, I'm with you. I'm I'm basically a millennial, so I mean I watched the newer John Waters movies, which is what I kind of base everything off of. Which you're right will insult some people, so you'll have to forgive us a bit for this one. <laughs> We're gonna be a little judgy.
0: Yeah, so uh, he has some success with Hairspray and Crybaby, both which I highly enjoy. And then, this is where the road gets weird. He's no longer really produced by big studios. It's usually like companies that are just starting. They need a hit going. So Savoy Pictures. First two movies are Lightning Jack, which we're going to discuss
1: one of these days. And I can't it's... even tell you how much I love Lightning Jack, but, but Michael knows that. He, he helped me find that particular movie because I was hunting for it for a while.
0: A Lightning Jack, and then their second movie is Surreal Mom. Both did okay but they're so wildly different than what normal studios were making at the time. Uh, to give you the plot basic of uh, Serial Mom, Kathleen Turner seems like the most normal, sweet mom. It's as if you had taken the mom from Little uh, Leave it to Beaver and twisted her in such a way that she was a demented serial killer. That's pretty much the basis of this, right?
1: Well, like you say demented, kid. but really, it's, it's a logical serial killer. It's a reasonable degree of madness. <laughs>
0: the fact that she gets bent out of shape over these things that a lot of us get bent out of shape but we just don't kill people it's oddly cathartic the way that she mm-hmm, takes mm-hmm. care of these things like you're wearing white shoes after labor day <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i i would say this the, the performances are, are spot on i mean there everybody all around is really good in this
1: movie yeah yeah they have they have a surprisingly good cast for a unknown you know studio
0: yeah, and uh, Sam Watterson probably being the shiny moment. The weirdest thing is, though, I think this is the first movie that Matthew Lillard was ever in.
1: Really? I didn't even think about that.
0: I, I think he did, uh, I'm pretty sure he did Hackers the year after that and then came Scream. But I don't believe he did anything, at least nothing this big, before Surreal Mom. And just seeing him there, it's like, wow, this is his shiny moment.
1: Yeah, he's always been kind of like Danny Trejo to me, you know, the generic nerd or generic Mexican in Danny Trejo's case. It's like, I don't really expect him anywhere. He just kind of pops up, and I'm yeah. kind of surprised every time.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen him actually in a while, which is kind of a shame, because I always enjoy seeing them on the screen.
1: Yeah, I loved them in 13 Ghosts, I don't care what everybody says. No, <laughs> oh,
0: man, yeah, those, those <laughs> movies are derided pretty bad, the, uh, what it called, the Dark Castle is the label,
1: right? They did yeah, House yeah.
0: On Hill and 13 Ghosts, and what's the one on the ship? Ghost
1: Ship, is that it? It might be, I don't know, I, I'm not huge into horror movies, I just happened oh. to watch that one and I really enjoyed it, because it was dumb.
0: Yeah, all three were highly entertaining, highly improbable, <laughs> and they always have really good budgets, so it's very strange. Alright, so Serial Mom, I give this one a thumbs up. I can't say thumbs up, that's copyrighted. I approve.
1: (laughs) I, I face my fist forward with my fingers inwards and maybe a thumb will pop up, I don't know.
0: Uh, The one thing I find funny is my obsession with VHS. You know I used to have one of the most amazing collections of VHS to the point where it clogged my entire house. Whenever they're in, Matthew Lloyd's character works in a video store. I find myself not listening to a single word being said. Just trying to, oh, I know that movie. Okay, I know that movie. I had that movie. I had that movie. (laughs) I'm trying to piece every single movie in the background. That's a really weird way to watch a movie.
1: No, honestly, it's it's what you do when you have an interest. I mean, my buddy is a huge programmer, and every time you watch Hackers, it's a good old list of that's not happening, that's not real, that like, you can't do that, that's not even close to being right.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this one, I would say, is not exactly trashy, it's uh, just a skewed oddball. It feels like the way uh, movies were in the 80s, the ones that were kind of off-kilter, That uh, what do you want to call them, uh, cowpunk, I guess, is what we call them, or like white trash kind of movies. Yeah, it has, yeah. That, it has that attitude, but it's spun with fifties kitsch.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I I compare it to kind of the Stepford Wives, only with just the single wife, and you just get to see that really in depth view of the slow turn to madness and the sense that it makes. Yeah,
0: and I think this is probably one of her last major performances. I really don't see her that much anymore. She just does kind of like supporting roles or cameos.
1: You know, I, I never really thought about that, but yeah, you're probably right. Which, you know, to be fair. And she has a particular look going for her, so it's kind of tough for her to really be fitting to anything else.
0: Yeah, but she also doesn't – I think it's funny that she showed up in Dumb and Dumber 2, and she says, yeah, of course I look different. It's been 20 years since I really did a movie. People get <laughs> older. People put on weight. Their faces just deal with it already. I'm okay with it. Right. And, uh, you know, John Waters is probably at his prime right here when it comes to, like, efficiency, tight script, uh, and fast-moving. Um but I think some people probably would get a little bit uncomfortable because it does feel like a slight sellout. Like he's on studio with this one.
1: Yeah, it, it it sort of does. I mean, as, as a whole, it was worth watching and it was worth watching again, you know, just for this. But, uh, I just, I can't see myself really recommending this to anybody ever.
0: Okay. So our second movie is Cecil B. Demented between this. He did Pecker, but I wasn't able to find Pecker. We just grabbed two random John Waters movies. Um, Cecil B. Demented is his last, I think, I think his last like mini-studio. He was with Artisan. I don't know who did A Dirty Shame. Have you seen that one, A Dirty Shame? I don't think so, no. Uh, Tracy Allman gets hit on the head, and she goes from being an absolute prude to being an absolute sex freak. So it's kind of like what you're saying, that formula that he does, where he takes someone like pure and innocent and watches them go demented, you know?
1: Mm-hmm, yep.
0: Um, so I wish you had seen that one. That one's really great. Johnny Knoxville just kills that in that movie. Chris oh. Isaac's great. Uh, but, uh, Cecil B. Demented is a frustrating one for me, and, uh, basically, it's about Melanie Griffith. She is an A-lister. She is shooting a movie, uh, basically a big studio movie, and Steven Dorf. this is right after Blade, which is weird, because that was a big hit, and that kind of got his name back out there, so I'm kind of surprised he did a tiny little movie, so it kind of shows you he bends, uh, you know, he doesn't really take big paycheck kind of movies when he could yeah. when he could have. He just always sticks kind of independent.
1: And, technically, you can kind of say that Cecil B. Demented is one of the more artsy-style movies. So, if you really want to try to do an art type of movie, this would be one of those situations.
0: Yeah. So, he is Cecil B. Demented. He's a film director who is so committed to his vision that he'll go to almost terrorist lengths with him and his group. Uh, A lot of rising stars in this, uh, uh, people that I've never seen before.
1: Yeah, watching this movie, I... I swore just by the, the film style and, you know, the grain of the film and all that. I was like, oh, this must have been like, you know, 1990s, early 90s. No, 2000. This yeah. film was filmed in 2000.
0: And I forgot to say, uh, he kidnaps Melanie Griffith and forces her to be in his movie, and he wants to make it as authentic as possible. The problem is, is he isn't telling her that half the stuff she's doing is real. So, yeah, there's a lot of bloodshed. I don't. This is probably his tra- His return to like true trashy movies because there really is no likable character in. There.
1: No, not at all. And there is a lot of just film for pause. You know, you, you know me. I like to find the little small things. That are just like, holy crap! Did this person really let this happen? Yeah. And um, I I want to say a third into the movie when they first kidnap the actress and bring her to the home base, they're uh they're playing a TV where they're showing the reports on what happened during the kidnapping. And so in the scene, the girl, who happens to have a mustache, I believe, yes. is playing the thing on the TV. The camera zooms over to the right, and you see the entire crew watching it. And the girl is standing with the crew watching it, and then it zooms back to the left, and then she's standing next to the TV again. I'm like, come on, man. Come on. <laughs>
0: okay, I made a mistake. I watched this with my mom. Yeah. And uh, I, cause she she has a, a pretty cool sense when it comes to movies, and not a lot of stuff bothers her when it's like weird. But yeah. that scene where they're all kind of getting horny and bothered, yeah, <laughs> oh, I geez, was like, yeah. oh no, I chose the wrong thing to watch. Oh no. <laughs> but it's like so, things, so... it's he make he does these things that seem like they're dangerous and dirty and filthy, but actually most of them are kind of they're kind of adorable.
1: They they are and there's solid grounding for his reasoning. It's just that it's so over the top, just gonzo that you have to be a special type of person to really go that far. Yeah. Um, The fact that he throws out, directors of all types at the very beginning of it everyone has a tattoo of their favorite you know low low-key arty director spike lee uh Samuel Ford, I, I, yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's just a whole list of them just like you know bam 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 it's like yeah this is this is to represent the fact that we're legit workers and then he goes like, again yeah, none of us had to have sex in you know weeks until this film is done like what is the reasoning behind that <laughs> well my thing
0: that i think about it is uh, at first I thought that this was his way of proving like, oh yeah, we're true independents, I'm going back to my roots here. But I watched this next time and I feel like he was kind of uh, poking his finger at people who are pretentious. Like too artsy for their own good and they don't have any fun.
1: Honestly, like I felt like it was kind of a jab at both directions. Like it's a consistent Mary Sue, him him being somehow be demented and just making fun of himself and the lengths that he'll go to, yeah. and at the same time making fun of the studios at the lengths that they go to, you know. So this one just felt like a complete love story to himself the entire time, personally.
0: Yeah. And the one thing that truly bothers me though is the mass of my bloodshed. You know, most of his movies are pretty safe. You know, I, I want to say when he when he does like the kind of trashy poke fun at things, it's edgy, but it's not malicious.
1: Yeah, there yeah.
0: was something off-putting, especially at the end when people are just being shot and maimed left and right. I mean, it goes from being goofy fun to all of a sudden, you know, they're getting shot in the head, and there's really no rhyme or reason because that girl was just having sex on top of the drive-in. She didn't have a weapon; she didn't have anything. They just blow her head off, and yeah, I don't understand yeah. where that came from.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, you make a good point. I mean, so that scene—the girl died immediately. I want to say about ten scenes prior, uh, their drunky dude gets shot in the head, and for some magical reason, he's still floating around asking for more drugs. And uh, this is just like you're—you're you're really stretching yourself here, buddy. Are you just just throwing whatever you want out? Or is this the bottom of your well, or are you just scraping it out and throwing it on film? Yeah, I don't know. Uh,
0: there might be a reason why he stopped making movies. Not so much because they don't make money. Maybe he just—maybe he didn't have anything else to say. Uh, when it comes to film. Now, if you ever see his live show, This Filthy World, or, you know, he goes on tour all the time, those are top-notch. It's kind of the way Kevin Smith does it, where he's just kind of a rank tour, telling all these great stories. That is top-notch. But I felt like this is the point where he kind of was running out of stuff he wanted to say.
1: Yeah. yeah so, viewers, if, if you want to know what this is going to be like, if you watch it, imagine if they took Empire Records, jammed it together with Rent, and then threw it out there kind of mishmash with a violent action sequence. Yeah.
0: Uh, the only true interesting part is the fact you get to see Michael Shannon, uh, you know, because he's a man of steel and boardwalk Empire. You see him really early in his career and Adrian Grenier from uh, Entourage. That was at least entertaining just to see those guys so young. Yeah, yeah. I'm
1: home with you on
0: that one. But I, other than the curiosity of it or if you're a true John Waters like I gotta see everything, I would say I don't recommend this one.
1: Yeah. You should pretty much just pass on it. Maybe like the highlights. Uh, but uh, it's 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 definitely hard to sit through. And
0: if you do, it is free on Netflix right now. Otherwise, Cyril Long kind of have to hunt down. Actually, most of his movies are kind of hard to find. I don't know what's going on with that. But, um, you know, like Crybaby is fun. Uh, Pecker, I, I just can't remember, but a Dirty Shame is definitely, if that's going to be his last movie, it's a fun way to end your career. Anything else you want to say about these?
1: Um, Honestly, uh, if you do end up watching them, Good luck. Serial mom was going to be okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Cecil B., man, just, I don't know, find something to grip it to because it's hard to watch through.
0: <laughs> all right, everybody. That's it for us here at Trash Cinema. Thank you for your support. Check us out on Facebook under Trash Cinema. Actually, you know what? I was going to say Retro Rock Entertainment. That's our main page. But I am going to build a Trash Cinema page devoted to all the episodes of this. Thank you, everybody, for all your comments and suggestions. You got a good double feature? Let us know, man. We'll consider it and torture ourselves with it. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, have a good night.